Hey everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We've been in a series called Let In Some Christmas Hope. And although Christmas is officially passed now, I'm counting on the fact that there are still some of you in need of hope for what has been a discouraging season for, for many. Boxing Day is a time many people spend thinking about the presents that they didn't get. <laughs> and while you may have already poured over advertisements of Boxing Day sales from companies who want to convince you that they have what you need, I have another idea for you. But first, let me tell you about George Owen Walton. Walton was an estate appraiser born in 1907. He was an estate appraiser and as such had first dibs on rare coins and jewelry, stamps and books and estates he was called into. Over time, he built up a collection of rare items. At one point, he was given the opportunity to purchase only one of five Liberty Head nickels minted in 1913. He paid $3,750 for it in 1945. But he told his family it was worth a lot more. But was it? In 1962, he died in a car crash. And to his family's great disappointment, appraisers declared the nickel a fake. They marked it no value and returned it to the family. But the family decided to hang on to it anyway. And eventually Walton's nephew inherited the coin. In 2003, the other four Liberty Head nickels went on display and a million dollar prize was offered to anyone who could produce the fifth. The nephew decided his uncle's nickel was worth another try. After hours of analysis by six experts, his coin was deemed legitimate and was sold for $3.1 million. I share that story because according to the Bible, we're sitting on an inheritance far beyond what we recognize. We're told by some experts that our hope is based on a fake, and so we often question its value. We underestimate what we've been given. But if we could only see, it would change how we live. If Boxing Day is, is often spent thinking about the presents you didn't get, I'd like to suggest that what you and I most need is eyes to see what God has already given us. To help us all see a little better, I'd ask you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. If you don't have a Bible, click on the link for today's passage in the description below. I'll start reading at Ephesians 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
This is the word of God. Now, there are three gifts that God has given you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, but you may not have opened them or you may have lost sight of them. They may still be sitting under the tree and you may not be able to see them for all the boxes and paper. Ask for eyes to see them. Let's start with the first. Ask for eyes to see the great hope that we have. When the incredible future that God has prepared for us comes into view, we can deal with the present and find the strength to endure. Ask for eyes to see the great hope that we have. Now, you may have missed it, but when I read the passage, this is a description of Paul's prayer for the believers in Ephesus. He starts in verses 15 and 16 with these words. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. When Paul wrote this, it had been at least five years since he was last in the city of Ephesus. But he's received a good report about the believers there. He's heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love toward all the saints. They're growing in faith toward Jesus and love towards each other. And that energizes his prayers for them. These are the two marks that identify the genuineness of their faith. Everything else we say here is predicated on the fact that you have a growing faith and a deepening love for other believers. Many people claim to have faith, but they keep their distance from other Christians. And some people work hard to be as loving and kind as they can, but they've never put their trust in Jesus Christ. These are the two non-negotiable marks of those who belong to Jesus. Are they words that describe you? Now, when Paul hears that these are in place, he prays without ceasing for them. Many people will reduce prayer to the cries that you lift up when someone is sick or in crisis. But prayer is far deeper than that. Starting in verse 17, Paul prays that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. It's not that he's asking that they learn some secret knowledge, but he wants them to be able to have a deeper grasp of the truths they've been taught. When he mentions wisdom, your mind might go back to the book of Proverbs, where it teaches that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's a reminder that spiritual truth is only absorbed through faith and a right reverence towards God. The word revelation reminds us that God has to reveal truth, truth to us in order for us to grasp it. It's almost as if we have a natural aversion to the truth that God has to overcome. We're like the toddler in the high chair and God's word is the bean carrot medley and we only want sweet potato. It's work for us to take in God's truth. But Paul's prayer is a reminder that there's a spiritual battle for us to truly believe what the Bible says about God and his will for our lives. He describes the same truth in different words in verse 18. There it talks of having the eyes of your heart enlightened. It's like God's light has to push back the darkness that keeps us from seeing. And the stakes are high because when the truths of our hope in Christ become dim and blurry, we stop living the way that we're called to. Second Peter 1.9, for instance, says that whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. 
The message is that when we fail to see God's truth clearly, we develop spiritual amnesia and we lose our drive to seek God and our motivation to live for him. That's why in verse 18, Paul said, says that he's constantly praying, praying that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Do you know that hope? It's different than asking whether you've heard about it. We hear thousands of messages each day. There's so much that we become numb to it all. Knowing the hope of the Bible is different. It's when we see it so clearly that it affects us. It's when we feel it so deeply that it changes us. Our hope is that God will never leave us nor forsake us. He'll walk us through every valley and sustain us through every trial. He'll provide for our every need and never get tired of doing so. Our hope is in a God who's greater than all our sins, a God of mercy who never tires of forgiving those who are truly his own. Our hope is in a God who will welcome us with open arms after our race is run, a God whose presence will satisfy beyond anything this world could ever offer. Can you see that hope? If it was written out on an eye chart, would you have to squint to see it? Is it faint or is it vivid? Can you see it clearly enough that it stirs your yearning for holiness and your drive to live for God? What you most need didn't come wrapped under the tree this year. Ask for eyes to see the great hope that we all have. Next, ask for eyes to see the riches of your inheritance. If you've trusted in Jesus as the scriptures describe, God has prepared for you unimaginable glory, but you need eyes to see it. You need faith to perceive it. You need his light to grasp it. So ask for eyes to see the riches of your inheritance. After praying in verse 18 that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, Paul continues in the same verse saying, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? In fact, he repeats the same construction three times to describe three things he wants us to see. He says, what is the hope? What are the riches? And then in verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? We'll get to the power next, but for now, we're focused on uh, the riches of God's inheritance in us. This may be counterintuitive, but it's talking about us as God's inheritance. It's the riches of his glorious inheritance, that is God's inheritance, in the saints or in us. We usually just see what Jesus did on the cross from our perspective. Because Jesus died for us, we get God. But this verse looks at what Jesus did from the Father's perspective. Because Jesus died for us, God gets us. He inherits a people who are cleansed and purified for his pleasure. It speaks to how deeply he really loves us. It's describing how precious we are to him. And let's face it, most days you and I don't feel like a glorious inheritance, do we? But God takes pleasure in us. He delights in us. He was glad that Jesus died for us so that we could be called his own. We're valuable to him. And we need eyes of faith to really grasp that. Because most days it doesn't feel like it could be true. But it is. Now, we're not just an inheritance to God, we're promised an inheritance from God. 
in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, it says this, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. When we put our faith in Jesus, we're not just forgiven. We're not just off the hook. And we don't just go to heaven. We're promised an imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance. Uh, elsewhere it says, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. It's not like anything you've seen before. I can't explain it to you. You can't even imagine it. Our inheritance is unlike anything you've ever experienced. And it'll make all the injustices you've borne, all the pain you've suffered, all the trials you've gone through, it'll make all of them seem like nothing. And you need eyes of faith to bring this inheritance into focus. Because when we lose sight of this, we start living for lesser pleasures. We compromise with lesser things. The temptations of today overwhelm us because the eternal riches of tomorrow have faded from our view. Don't let that happen. Ask God for eyes to see. Ask him for eyes to see our great hope. Ask him for eyes to see your inheritance. And finally, ask him for eyes to see God's power for us. We've been given all of the resources and strength that we need. If only we'd open our eyes to them. Ask for eyes to see God's power for us. Now in verse 19, Paul lists the third thing that he's praying the Ephesians' eyes would be open to. He speaks of the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. You might have heard somewhere along the line that the way that, way that we get the word dynamite comes from the Greek word that's used for power here. Now, while that's true, it probably wasn't on the minds of the church in Ephesus when they heard it. They thought of all of the ways that they felt powerless. Ephesus was a city that was renowned for spiritual power. Charms, magic, secret incantations were sold to people desperate for relief from evil spirits and overwhelming circumstances. To turn to Christ was to forsake all of those, and it made people feel exposed at first. Friends and family would think they were nuts to put their trust in a relatively unknown upstart deity. Paul wants them to see that they have immeasurably great power in Christ. I know in Japan, anytime someone turned to Christ, the people around them would interpret any unfortunate circumstance in their lives as evidence that they had gotten on the wrong side of the gods and were paying for it. God wants us to see that we have immeasurably great power in Christ. Maybe the pandemic has made you feel powerless. It feels like you're at, mer at the mercy of your health or the mercy of the authorities or the mercy of the virus. It may, may feel like everything about your life is in someone else's hands and that leaves you feeling powerless, but you're not. You have immeasurably great power in Christ. So 2 Peter 1.3 says, for instance, 
His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. You have God's power for everything you need, but you lay hold of that power through your knowledge of God. You're not at the mercy of evil spiritual forces. Your life isn't in the hands of a chaotic world that's out of control. Jesus is on the throne and his power is at work on behalf of those who love and serve him. That's what he's explaining in verses 20 to 23. He's saying God's power was proven through the resurrection. We serve a God who has power over life and death, over our present and our eternity. God's power can reverse our circumstances or sustain us in the midst of them. Either way, God is the one who's in control. But that's different than saying that we're in control. God doesn't give us his power so that we can be in charge. God's power doesn't mean we always get our way. And God's power doesn't mean that we don't feel our weakness. In fact, that's often where we are. Paul said, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. If people around us come to the conclusion, we're just strong people, they might admire us, but think little of God. And in, frankly, it doesn't give people any hope. When you're confronted by your weakness, it's actually discouraging to hear a strong person say that it's easy for them. It's a weak person who finds strength in God's power that gives hope to others. As God said to the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You may face days where it feels like you're hanging on by a thread, but the promise of scripture is that the thread will hold. God's power is enough to sustain us in the most difficult of times. His power is sufficient at even our weakest moments. But you need eyes to see it. You need the faith to lay hold of it. Do you have eyes to see all that God has given you? Can you feel the riches that are yours in Christ? In 1939, George Danzig enrolled as a graduate student in statistics under a professor by the name of Jerzy Neiman. At the beginning of one of the classes, Dr. Neiman wrote two examples of famous unsolvable problems on the blackboard. George arrived late to class that day, and when he saw the problems on the board, he mistook them for the homework assignment, quickly scribbled them in his notebook. Eventually, he solved both problems. <laughs> Six weeks later, Dr. Neiman was ecstatic as he arrived at George's door to share the news. At first, George actually started apologizing to his professor. He thought that he was being reprimanded for handing his homework in late. As Neiman informed George that he had solved two of statistics's unsolvable problems, he admitted that they did seem harder than usual. He went on to earn a doctorate and worked as a mathematical advisor to the Defense Department and joined the faculty of Stanford University, earning the National Medal of Science in 1975. But the trajectory of his life turned because of two unsolvable problems he mistook for homework. He later said, if someone had told me they were famous unsolvable problems, I probably wouldn't have even tried to solve them. He would have settled for less 
because he didn't know what he had. My fear is that we do the same thing. Not realizing the hope that we have in Christ, not grasping it, not laying hold of it. We put our hope in the world. Not realizing the inheritance we have, we fight and complain over lesser riches. And not realizing the power that we've been given, we shrink back back from the life that God has equipped us for. If you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus, the resurrection is God's proof that this hope is real. You can trust in it. So turn to him today. And if you have put your trust in him, ask God for eyes to see. Pray this prayer for yourself. Pray this prayer over your children. Pray it over your brothers and sisters in Christ. When you open the scriptures, open the eyes of your heart to let this hope sink in. Memorize verses to help you reflect on it and turn your thoughts there often. We have a great hope in Christ, so let it strengthen you as you grow in your ability to see it in all its dimensions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us such a great, great hope. Ours is the hope of a God who delights in us, a God who loves us and finds us precious, even though we recognize the, the sin and the failings that are a part of our lives. Thank you, Father, for the great hope of all that you've prepared for us, the great hope that you are the God who never leaves us nor forsake us, the God who is with us. Thank you for the great hope that you give power to us in our weakness, that you are pleased to show your greatness when we feel at our worst. Give us eyes to see, Father. Help us to fix our eyes on the great hope that you have given. And Father, if there's anyone listening even now who is a stranger to that hope, who is still outside the promises of God because they've never turned to Jesus Christ, draw them to yourself. Give them the courage to take that step of faith. And may they enter into these great promises, the incredible hope, the wonders that you've prepared for those who love you. We, we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I hope this message has helped you to see the great hope that we've been given. If it's stirred up questions or you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email or leave a comment below. And if you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.